Hello. Welcome back to Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Santiago, and this week we have another special episode celebrating the release of Deep Overstock Issue 11, Animals. We're not out of the woods just yet. Welcome to Episode 4, Chipmunks, Mice, and Antlers, featuring work by Esther Fishman, Heather Glover, and Bob Selkros. After the readings, we'll have a short discussion on each of these pieces. Opening this episode is the poem Day 5, Chipmunks, by Esther Fishman, who has published reviews on the web at thereviewreview.net and raintaxi.com. Her poetry has appeared in various small magazines, most recently, Bloodroot Literary Magazine. Now, here's Day 5, Chipmunks. Day 5, Chipmunks. We wake thinking about leaving. These trips are always too short. Today we have to pack up. Somehow, all the equipment that makes it possible to survive up here, tents, sleeping bags, propane burners, assorted rope and tarp and boots, have to fit back into the tiny rented car so that we can drive home. As always, we have too much food, and it's not worth taking home, so David dumps little piles discreetly around the outskirts of our camp. Even the dog leaves them alone, full of last night's leftovers. Well, someone will eat it. He empties out the pot of old mac and cheese. It sits on the big rock, looking utterly alien in its lurid orangeness. Nothing's going to eat that, comments the mother-in-law. It sits. We continue cleaning up the camp. An atmosphere of melancholy sets in. Suddenly, I see the little chipmunks that inhabit the area running around on the rock. Maybe they will become interested in the mac and cheese. One is drinking water from the pot, holding on to the rim with prehensile back paws. Another one grabs a piece of macaroni with what can only be described as hands and nibbles it tentatively. Then it seems everyone wants some, because soon there are six or seven of them, running up to the pile of mac and cheese, grabbing a piece, and running off with it stuffed in their cheeks. Quite a show, and soon we are all watching, trying not to scare them away by laughing too loud or moving suddenly. How much can those tiny stomachs hold at one time, I wonder out loud. Maybe they are squirreling it away, says the poet husband, who is responsible for the feast being available in the first place. That little bit of wordplay is all that is necessary. We begin free associating a mythology for these cute little creatures as they run around, chewing furiously. Now that they are in possession of the orange creamy goodness that is our discarded mac and cheese, we imagine a new life for them in the coming winter, a new group of super chipmunks who will worship the orange stuff that came from above. Isn't that just like us humans making story out of just stuff that happens? We anthropomorphize at the drop of a hat, spitting complexity as if it were the stuff of nature. It's easy because we will not be here to find out what really happens. We can cast ourselves as beneficent gods, bestowing some kind of boon 
when we really have no idea what goes on underground in rodent dens when the snow lies thick over this ground and the wind blows down the mountain. For all we know, we have killed them all, poisoned them with food that we, after all, rejected. Next, strap on your antlers, folks. It's time for The Deer by Bob Selkros. Bob grew up with his mother selling books in the Pacific Northwest. He is now working on a book about a book. It is based in the Pacific Northwest, and the book is The Cabinet of Children. Now, here's The Deer by Bob Selkros. The Deer. The Deer. One. They would fire on three. Red leaves, yellow leaves, green leaves. The shot, like the birth of his son. The leaves, the animal. The son cowered in the bushes. The father took the son's gun and counted one through six bullets. The son had not fired his gun. Leaves clicked as the deer bled through them. Now the father was a fool. The deer, too. The beauty of a deer split cleanly. The split smells like a tree, as if you've cut a log. The parts of the deer are separated from the deer. The pieces detached from the deer do not bleed on their own. They are arranged logically on a tarp. The deer must be cleaned, and then the gun must be cleaned. The gun is disassembled on a table above the deer. It is all put back into pieces. This is gorgeous in the case of the gun and the deer. The Deer 3 A father and son see a deer full of tumors and call animal control. Animal control says that if, and only if, a tumor falls on the ground, will they come. Finally, a tumor is found in the leaves, and there is a trail of blood. The father and son follow the blood into the woods. This is in the middle of fall. It smells like leaves. The leaves are everywhere. The leaves are on the ground. There are leaves in the trees. The deer is in a clearing, alone. The father and son see it. The sun falls over, the shock of the deer. The father goes to the deer. The deer falls over, the shock of cancer. Everywhere the deer is swollen. The father takes the deer by the antlers. He must do it. If he does not do it, the deer will take days to die. The father is watched by the sun. The father, using the grip of the antlers, turns. It is not unlike turning a ship. Closing this episode is a story, Story for Sabi, by Heather Glover. Heather Glover is a 32-year-old woman living with MS. She is currently quarrying a full-length YA fantasy manuscript and was published several years ago in the All-American Writers' Journal. She was also part of the query match team for Camp Rev Pit during spring 2020. Now, here's Story for Sabi by Heather Glover. Story of Sabi by Heather Glover. Sabi wandered through the long grasses, skirting around enormous trees that gave plenty of shade and, even better, cover from predators. Her mother had taught her long ago not to meander out in the open, or you may find yourself soaring above the clouds on the way to someone's dinner table. In fact, it was common practice in the whole colony to use birds as a threat when small ones were not doing what they were told. Not eating your clover? An owl will eat you. Don't want to sweep your shed fur out of the den? A hawk will make you its dinner. Quite frankly, Sabi thought that the realistic threat of predators was scary enough without added child nightmares attached. Thank you very much. 
The small mouse kept her ears pricked and her nose scented to the wind, all senses on high alert. She had never gone this far from the nest on her own before, but her mother had decided she was old enough to be sent on her first assignment, gathering wild dandelion seeds to store for winter. Sabi had been so excited to be given such an important task that she had nearly burst with pride, grabbing one of the small baskets and rushing towards the den entrance. However, her mother had stopped her before she could go out into the day. Sabi remembered her lecture exactly. Make sure to check both ways before crossing any paths. Predators usually don't hunt in the middle of the day, but you never know with snakes and the odd weasel. Keep your ears alert and your eyes open and check the branches above every once in a while to make sure no birds are sneaking up on you. Robins and other songbirds aren't overly dangerous, just aggressive. But if you see a hawk, dive into the nearest hole and stay there until it moves on. Talk about overloading and petrifying a young mouse all at once. But Sabi had taken it in stride, returning her mother's hug before venturing out into the open. Now she was glad she had been given the reminders. Though, staring up into the branches for a moment, no birds. Nodding in satisfaction, she hurried on to her destination, besides passing a few caterpillars and one extremely busy chipmunk who rushed up a tree nearby, Sabi found herself quite alone as she trundled to her destination. It was both freeing and terrifying to know. Sooner than she cared to admit, she found herself approaching the dandelion patch. Soft, cottony blooms wafted gently in the wind, some of the odd seeds breaking off and floating away to spread elsewhere. She had to pick them before they all blew away, so Sabi hurriedly scooted herself up one of the stems. She settled into the billowy flower, relishing the feeling of sitting on a cloud for a moment. That was always the part of the story that had never frightened her, flying above the clouds. She was envious that birds got to enjoy such a spectacle on a daily basis. Realizing she was daydreaming, Sabi quickly began picking the seeds and placing them in her basket. Checking the sky occasionally, the small mouse made sure to keep herself inconspicuous while gathering her bounty. Without anyone interrupting her or stealing her away to do other projects, it took her almost no time at all to fill the basket, with plenty of seeds still left on the flower to come gather tomorrow. Extremely pleased with herself, Sabi glanced around once more before scuttling back to the earth. Hurrying back to the shadows of a large oak tree, Sabi sat down and leaned against the trunk with a big sigh. She wasn't ready to go home yet, but she didn't want to be gone too long from the colony and worry her mother. Pricking her ears, she realized that she could hear a small trickle nearby. Figuring she had time to go and find the water source before she would be missed, the young mouse gathered her basket and followed the gurgling sounds from the water. The grass became less dense as the noise grew louder, and before she knew it, she stepped out into full sunlight. Blinking in surprise from the sudden brightness, Sabi let her eyes adjust before looking around her surroundings. It appeared to be a small creek, with rocks sticking up out of the swift-flowing water. Sniffing the air, the young rodent could smell the moisture and mud in the air. Glancing both ways down the shore, she found paw prints of all types, including other mice, chipmunks, deer, and what appeared to be an otter. However, she also noticed fox and weasel prints mixed in, making her fur stand up in the back of her neck. Better not spend too long here. However, as she turned to go back, sunlight glinted off something resting on the bank. Curious, Sabi nearly dashed over to the object before remembering the rules. 
Crouching down, she looked all around twice before venturing over to the object. Half buried in the mud was something that sparkled as the sun's rays beat down on it. Gently prying it from the earth, she brought it over to the water to rinse off the excess muck still on it. Tiny minnows and tadpoles swam away in panic as her paws dipped beneath the surface into the cool liquid. Using a bit of moss to help scrub the object, once it was clean, she lifted it out of the water to look at it better. It appeared to be some sort of stone, both clear and green at once, with its multifaceted surface fitting snugly in her paws. It was odd to see something that wasn't round or randomly shaped like the rocks she was used to. Whatever the stone was, it was also heavier than a regular pebble of the same size. But the most bizarre thing was when the sun hit it. Rainbows seemed to sprout in all directions, including on her fur. Gasping slightly, she placed the object in shadow, and the rainbows disappeared, no matter how she turned it. Placing it in the sun again, the rainbows reappeared, bright and cheery in all directions. Letting out a small squeak of amazement, she rushed back to where she had left her basket to put that odd stone in there. However, when she got back into the grasses, she found that her basket had been knocked over. Suddenly on the alert, she held her breath and slowly twisted her ears about, trying to catch any sound. Scenting the wind, she could tell someone else was nearby, though her untrained senses couldn't make out who or what it was. Anxiety started to creep into her body which she tried to tamper down so she didn't panic. Hello? she asked quietly, hoping that whoever was out there was a friend. Her hopes were quickly dashed as, not more than twenty paces away, the brown face of a weasel poked out of the grasses. A crude smile crossed his face as a long, lithe body came out into the open. Sharp fangs gleamed in the sunlight as small but powerful paws began creeping towards her. Hello, little one, he stated calmly, though a predatory growl was low in his throat. Do you happen to have any dinner plans? Too terrified to speak, Sabi backed away slowly, not wanting to attract more attention. However, the weasel guessed what she was trying to do and dove into the grasses, hiding himself in the vegetation. Whiskers trembling, Sabi retreated to the water's edge to enable her to see when the predator was coming. She could hear him rustling, but in her panic it seemed to be coming from everywhere at once. Her paws became a death grip around the odd stone, as if that alone could save her. Maybe if she threw it, that would distract the weasel, but she highly doubted such a master hunter would fall for such a simple tactic. Suddenly the rushing increased in volume and the weasel appeared again at a full dash. Letting out a high-peached squeak, Savi did the only thing she could think of. Dive into the water. Rushing to where the water ran deeper, she flung herself into it, her head disappearing under the surface within a moment. Kicking strongly, Sabi felt her head break the surface and took a huge breath. Turning about frantically, she didn't see the weasel anywhere, but she also had no idea where she was heading. Her head bobbed under the water again, and she kicked towards the near bank in a feeble attempt to reach the shore again. Fish and frogs swam by, uncaring and unwilling, or unable, to help her. Continuing with this method, taking huge gulps of air when she did surface, Sabi finally found her paws resting against a soft-feeling bottom. Using the last bit of her strength, she forced herself to wade out of the fast current. Gasping for breath, she collapsed on the now sandy bank. 
Amazingly, the odd stone was still in her hands, the water dripping off of it back into the creek. Glancing around, the small mouse felt her heart sink, and she didn't recognize any of the landmarks nearby, even as she realized that the weasel was no longer around either. Even if she wasn't going to get eaten, now she was lost. She could always follow the water back to where she left her basket, but she had no idea how far away that was. If she didn't reach the area before nightfall, then she would be easy picking for an owl or a fox. Setting the stone on the ground next to her, the small mouse huddled into a small ball and began to cry. If she hadn't been so eager to be on her own, she could now be back at her colony with her mother and the rest of her family, safe and sound. Wiping tears from her eyes, she tried to see the positives of her situation, but right now, she couldn't think of any. Burying her head into her hands, she didn't notice the rainbows that appeared as the sun shone off the odd stone, or the shadow that passed over her. Sniffling, Sabi was trying to pull herself together when a melodious voice intruded on her sorrow. Excuse me, little one, is that shiny stone yours? Gasping slightly and almost giving herself the hiccups, Sabi jumped and looked up. Standing above her was a giant black bird, head tilted to one side. Her dark, her dark brown eyes peered almost black above her dull orange beak. Gray feet gripped the ground gently, the razor-sharp talons digging small furrows in the sand. Sabi felt her heart stop for a moment, figuring she had escaped one hunter to meet her demise at the wings of another. All of the scary stories she'd ever been told about birds came flying to the forefront of her mind, causing her to freeze in place. Um, miss? The crow asked again, her voice lilting and polite. Are you all right? It slowly dawned on Sabi that the crow was not here to eat her. In fact, once she wiped her tears away and looked into the bird's eyes, she saw that there was no malice there. On the contrary, she actually seemed to be concerned about Sabi and her problems. Gulping slightly, the small rodent stood up and pointed up the river. I was being hunted, so I jumped in the water, then I got swept downstream, and now I don't know how to get home. The bird slumped slightly, her wings unfolding a bit. Oh, sweetie, I'm sorry to hear that. She glanced over at the odd stone for a moment before returning her gaze to Sabi. Do you know any distinguishing landmarks near your home? Sabi nodded briskly, her fear of birds all but forgotten by the crow's polite nature. Yes, uh, there's a five-topped oak and a three-topped elm nearby. Oh, and a fallen willow tree. Our colony isn't too far from the roots. Ah, I see. The crow clacked her beak together, eyeing the stone again. Tell you what, if you trade me the shiny stone, then I can bring you home. I know where that is. She pointed a wing in the general direction that Sabi knew her home was. Deal? Deal, Sabi stated quickly, willing to give anything to get back home. But, um... How do you plan to do that? In answer, the large bird nestled herself onto the ground and nodded her head towards her back. Sabi's eyes widened and she gasped slightly, her heart beating faster. Was this really happening? Could it be true? Moving forward slowly, the crow unfurled a wing, allowing the small mouse a ramp to get to her back. Delighted, Sabi gently but firmly climbed onto the bird's back and grabbed a paw full of feathers. Standing up again, the crow carefully walked over to the stone and gently grabbed it in her talons before turning to Sabi. Are you all set? Got a good hold? Sabi nodded, and suddenly the crow was flapping her wings hard, getting them airborne within seconds. 
The young rodent let out a squeak of excitement as they rose above the grasses, above the stones, even above the trees. Peering around the vast expanse of empty air around her, she nearly whooped with delight at the wind blowing in her face and the wisps of cloud floating around her. Even the setting sun seemed so much larger and brighter up here. It was everything she had hoped for and all that she had imagined. However, one glance towards the earth made her realize that she should look to the side and not down. That was still terrifying. All too soon, she saw the trees that she had mentioned, along with the small clearing that the crow was heading towards. Her colony was only a skip away from there, and as they gently drifted towards the ground, she could even see some of the colonists scurrying about. Bravely, she waved down at them, but the large bird had caused everyone to run into hiding, except one. Her mother, her face contorted in worry, stared in shocked fascination as the crow and mouse landed. As soon as Sabi scampered back down the outstretched wing, she found herself in her mother's embrace. Sabi! she cried, nearly squeezing her ribs to pieces. Where have you been? I've been so worried. Before Sabi could reply, however, her mother turned and bowed to the large crow. Thank you for bringing my daughter home, Sidian, the crow replied, clacking her beak in appreciation. Sidian, thank you for bringing her back. Her mother boldly reached out and pat the large bird's talons. I can't turn away a young one crying now, can I? Sidian answered. Then she held up the odd stone. Plus, she pays well. Be careful out there. She flapped her wings to get airborne again, circling around when she found a decent air current. But if you ever find anything else shiny, don't hesitate to call. As Sidian flew away, Sabi felt herself crushed in her mother's embrace. Sabi, Sabi, where have you been? Oh, mother, Sabi stated, fiercely hugging her back before they began heading into the nest. Have I got a story to tell you? That's it for Chipmunks, Mice, and Antlers, episode four of our special event celebrating the release of our 11th issue of Deep Overstock Animals. We'll be back next week with our regular programming featuring author Laura Scott reading and discussing Small Things by Desmond Everest Fuller with me, your host, Michael Santiago. And in two weeks with the next episode of Dio Animals, episode five, Birds and Seabirds. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. Our theme music is the song Shibuya by Bad Snacks. Don't forget to submit for our next issue, Mystery, before February 28th and visit deepoverstock.com slash submissions for specific guidelines. Joining me in discussion today are Deep Overstock's editors, Chief Mickey Collins and Robert Eversman. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. So out of all three of these stories, we have one focused on chipmunks, another on deers, and another on mice. Which one of these stories was the real standout piece? Which one told a compelling story or centered around its chosen animal. What about you, Mickey? Uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I think all these pieces each had like great points. Uh, they're all great in their own way. Um, but I, I really liked, uh, I mean, it's the story of Sabi by Heather Glover. It was great. Um, very, uh, kind of like red wall vibes. Um, it's like anthropomorphized uh, animals going on an adventure uh and i know bobby you might cut this but uh bob selkers is uh the deer stories like the three-part story uh i thought it was really interesting i've never been hunting before but i thought uh for all it's kind of like 
weirdness that it put into the hunting story. I thought it really had some touching moments that came through in that one as well, which I really enjoyed. A lot of father son tension. Yes. Lots Um, of tension. I agree with Mickey. Uh, I did enjoy Bob Selcross, but I think Esther Fishman and Heather Glover, the stories are very different, but they both pull off description extremely well. The description is so vivid. Um, and both times it's for kind of small everyday things, but the description really brings these things to life. We'll, we'll look at them closer in a second, but Esther Fishman just talks about the wind while you're camping, pretty normal. And then um, the story of Sabi, Heather Glover, although it is kind of a red wall piece, my, my favorite moment is just describing fish in a stream and a mouse dipping her paws into the water to pick up a stone. And I, I thought um, moments like these were really strong in both of these pieces. Which is interesting. The uh, The story of Sabi definitely provides a lot of detail from an animal's point of view. And I think yeah. that is a very different approach. I know other authors have done it, but I think it's a very different approach to telling a, a story within this sort of genre. Um, most people, they'll write about the human perspective, but this we're seeing some a creature that I think and goes pretty much under the radar most of the time. They're rodents, they're pests. Most people want them out of their house, but here it's showing sort of a day in the life of a mouse through the mouse through, through that creature's perspective. So for me, I thought that was really really great with the detail on that one. Definitely, I like that element too. It's really interesting to see all of these animal pieces, and like you said, Mike. Some are the human perspective, um, thinking about animals as pets, thinking about loss, losing a pet, or thinking about the wonder of animals that we talked about. But seeing it from the mouse's eye view is really nice. And I think um, an author might have missed some of the details from someone who's so low to the ground. Like like you said, you know, they go unnoticed. An author is, well... It's very hard, I think, to pay attention to what a mouse notices. But I think Heather Glover does that really well. There's just there's one quote that I want to read where it says, quote, tiny minnows and tadpoles swam away in panic as her paws dipped beneath the surface into the cool liquid. Using a bit of moss to help scrub the object, once it was clean, she lifted it out of the water to look at it better. And so it's just a tiny, tiny scene because it's a mouse and this pebble has to be minuscule. <laughs> but seeing from the animal's perspective is really nice and is really well achieved in the story of Sabi. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, also with chipmunks too, um, the, the level of detail in that story, uh, it kind of think it kind of puts perspective on, I guess the animal kingdom or hmm. where human beings often, I feel like we often overlook the rest of the life, like life all around us. We see a squirrel and we think, oh, that's just a squirrel. It's doing its thing. It's running up a tree. But we kind of walk around the earth as if we're not to sound like we're all, not to make it sound like we're all narcissistic or something, but we all walk around as if we're gods and every other animal lives in his dominion, yet we're totally unaware of it, but they are aware of us, if that makes any sense. So I feel like chipmunks in a way kind of touched upon that idea. I don't know if you agree on that. Yeah, I saw that too. Um, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, humans seem to think that we're gods. There's the idea of the Anthropocene, 
of humans kind of being a force of nature now because we've we've changed our environment so much, possibly ruining it forever. But we, you know, we've we've um, affected the strata, you know, uh, of the earth. So through our record of whatever we have done, whether we call it destruction, whether we call it a fun time, uh, you know, it the record's there forever in the earth. Um, and it's interesting to think about us just leaving something camping, which is food to us. We love the taste of mac and cheese. That's what <laughs> Esther Fishman's piece is about, leaving a bowl full of mac and cheese and thinking, well, if the chipmunks get it, they want it. Uh, why should I deprive them of their mac and cheese? But I had an interesting thing recently where um, I've always grown up thinking when you have old bread, throw it to the ducks. Ducks love bread. It's probably fine for them. But then I was walking by my neighbor and they were talking about feeding ducks duck food. And I said, what on earth is duck food? Don't you feed them bread? And they were shocked. They were like, how? Bread is not good for ducks. I was, anyway, I was shocked. So, so this idea that Esther Fishman is exploring of the human record or leaving something behind, humans leaving something behind for nature, actually killing nature. <laughs> it's, it's tasty for us. It might kill those poor <laughs> chipmunks. But I was dating at the time. We were driving through this through, through this wooded area up to a friend's house, and there was what looked like a husky, like just walking alongside the car because I wasn't going too fast. So my girlfriend at the time, she looked over and she was just like, "Oh, what a cute husky!" And I looked at the, what she presumed was a husky, and I was like, "Nope, that is a wolf." <laughs> so I just. I went from 20 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour because that was the first, I was like, all right, so this is the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to die by something out here. Do you guys know Ape Caves? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I've been there. It's one of the, you've been there? Cool. No. My, my friends and I went there. It's this lava tube, Mike, if you haven't been there, it's this long lava tube that goes on for at least a mile, maybe two miles. It's pretty long and it's, you know, it's all underground pitch black you can't see anything you have to bring your own lights my friends and i we we pulled into the parking lot as everyone was leaving and we we're like ah oh, that's probably fine because it was like 4 p.m you know it's gonna get dark so anyway we go into ape caves we have a great time it's dark in ape caves obviously we can't see outside we go all the way through after scaring each other a bunch and then finally we come out of the cave but it's just as dark outside as it was in the cave so now we're in the forest and the first thing we hear is, oh, we're <laughs> completely lost. And all we have is three flashlights and we don't know which way to go. <laughs> so we just start kind of running in one direction, hoping we're not going to get eaten by a wolf. And it was, it was a good hour, like getting out of the forest after the, after exiting the game. Jeez. <laughs> it was horrifying. Oh, man. <laughs> Didn't get eaten. Okay. <laughs> Except the- for Eddie. <laughs> talk about Eddie. Oh. <laughs> so, so, so in, interesting way to to end that question this is going to lead into the next question very morbid very twisted oh my. if you had your choice bobby you said birds this is um, going to be an animal sex. You, if, <laughs> if you had an animal of your choice just maul you to death which one would you go with Mickey. Oh, you're gonna do it. Oh, Mickey. <laughs> oh, I know Bobby's answer is the the eagle, right? We we covered that. I have another. Story. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> an animal to maul me to death. Uh, I think if I would want it to be, you know, like quick and like painless. Uh, so I'd want something big, 
they probably wouldn't scratch me so I wouldn't have to bleed out something and maybe just like an elephant. An elephant could just like trample me all at once and just be like over with. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with elephant. What about you, Bobby? Let's let's take the eagle out now. So now you have a second go at this. You have another chance at death. Oh so- <laughs> Okay, so um this so this isn't mine, but I always I always when my classmate said this, I was like, I have so much. I always had so much respect for this person because you know, like when you're in high school and there's there's you're pretty weird, then there's those few weirdos who are like weird, but then later when you look back, you think they were geniuses. They were just ahead of everyone else. So I had this classmate in Japanese class who was obsessed with penguins. She had everything penguin related, and then one day she just turned around. And she said, "I hope that one day." If I get really sick and know that I'm going to die, but know that I won't infect anything, I'm going to go to Antarctica and strip my clothes off so the penguins can devour me. <laughs> uh, you're incredible. Oh, slow clap for that one. Wow. Yeah, I was impressed by that. That you know, it wasn't even prompted by anything. She just turned around and said it. <laughs> That's wow. cool. So, so is that your, would you follow <laughs> suit? Another bird-themed death? I don't know. Elephants is a smart idea. Penguins? That would be good. That would be funny. Um, otters? Because I feel like Aww. otters, you know, they look really cute, you know? But then they're, I think if uh, if you got, lo- like, locked in the zoo, the first place you're going to go is like, oh, those adorable otters, they'll take care of me. But they remind me of, like, a Grimm's fairy tale. They're going to lure you in and then, like, pull your head off and then just beat it with the rock on their belly mm-hmm. all day and, just and it's going to be adorable <laughs> is that blood oh it's so cute <laughs> an adorable death <laughs> i think i'm gonna just say let it work or swallow me whole <laughs> oh, cool. that way i could just don't forget just i don't know disintegrate within its stomach acid and drown at the same time i mean this sounds horrible actually <laughs> So to, uh, to, to, to a lighter note now, oh, yeah. um, let's say if you can have any encounter with any sort of mythical creature, mythical animal, Bigfoot, Loch Ness, Jersey Devil, I, I don't even <laughs> know if that's considered an animal technically, but which one would you want to have a run in with, Bobby? Okay, like a mythical animal? I mean, Unicorn. A dragon would be. I was thinking dragon too. Right, a dragon. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of hard to, hard to beat. Uh, narwhal? No, those are real. Those are real. Unicorns um, of the sea. It's another whale. Unicorns of the street? Unicorns of the sea. I don't know, I'm pretty Voldemorty. You know, I might I might find a unicorn, drink its blood. Live forever. What about you, Mickey? Uh, huh, you know, I don't know how mythical it would be, but, you know, it's just any form of, like, a talking animal would be pretty cool. Any kind of an intelligent animal that you can There's discuss too many to yeah. choose from. I'm gonna have to go with dragon. Like that seems like the, the mm-hmm. sensible yeah. choice, really. I wanted to lie and be like, oh, you know, something chill that no one's ever heard of. But then the first thing that was in my head was like dragon. Couldn't yeah. deny my heart. <laughs> Follow your dreams.